Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. For our radio audience tuning in here at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, joining us online worldwide, thanks for our podcast. We're glad you all could be with us as well. Well, As we've been talking about, October is recognized for a lot of things, but especially one of the big things we've been talking about is National Book Month. So I definitely want you guys to really enjoy this next segment. We're excited to welcome former White House speechwriter and author to Sean O'Brien to our broadcast. He has a great book that is, is great for young readers, but I think us adults will definitely enjoy it as well. It's called White House Clubhouse. We're going to talk to him not only about the writing of the book, but also what it was like for him to create these characters, kind of bring in some historical figures that we may have read about or heard about, and then, of course, to be able to give us a book that entertains, but also, I think, educates a little bit as well. If you guys are just now finding out about White House Clubhouse, but we'll let you know how to be able to get a copy for yourself. Sean, really appreciate the time. Thanks for stopping by. Cyrus, thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting. Well, the the, the pleasure is definitely all mine. I love this book, and I was saying to you before we went on here, I think we all, when we first hear White House, I think a lot of times we may be thinking, okay, now what's going on? But I love the fact that this is a fun book, right, that people can really enjoy. So the book just officially came out this week, Sean, but what is it like for you to see the early response to it? Oh, it's been fantastic. Um, it's really exciting to kind of see, uh, first of all, kids responding to it. I've had a lot of enthusiastic uh, – I actually just got my first fan letter, um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, was a, it was a kid out of Chicago who had gotten a, an advanced copy and um, said that she had read 254 books in the past year, and she liked mine the best. So I'm wow. not sure which is more stunning, that sheer number or that she's put me in there, but I appreciate it. Um, and you know the thing that I'm hearing from kids generally is you know that uh, they're really into history, uh, but they like adventure and stuff. And so that this is uh, something that's given them a chance to learn about stuff, but also you know follow a very relatable type of story um, that keeps them going all the way through to the end. Yeah, such a great point. You know, I was thinking about for myself, I don't have children of my own, Sean, but what I thought about as we were kind of able to read about uh, the first daughters, Marissa and Clara, is that, you know, this same principle, I think, could really go for kids going to a new school, moving into a new neighborhood, Mm -hmm. right, trying to adjust to it. Uh, I have had – my family had to experience that. You know, how did you decide – of course, I mentioned you are a former (laughs) speechwriter, but uh, how did you decide where you wanted to be able to set this book? Yeah, I, I think the the common themes that kids end up having to deal with is really what we wanted to focus on, and you know, and really my kids ended up kind of being part of the inspiration for all of that. You know, they were having to shift schools, they were having to like everyone else, they were having to deal with COVID and, and the lockdowns with that, um, all the different changes, and you know, because of my job and crazy hours that are involved in it. Uh, they had to put up with me being gone for, for quite a bit. Um, but none of that compares to the truly bizarre experience that it must be for somebody to actually grow up in the White House. And so I kind of partially because I knew, you know, some of the inner workings there, like, you know, what it's like to be in a motorcade and that sort of stuff. But also because I, I think one of the cool things that you can do when you're writing is you can just try to find the most extreme end of an everyday problem. 
And so if every kid has to deal with something like a new school, but not every kid has to do it while the Secret Service detail is following them around, I thought it was a neat to plant these kids in the White House and have everybody keep telling them, oh, this is such a great adventure. And they're sitting there going, I hate this. Why am I here? Right, right. That, I think that is so true. And I think, too, for a, a lot of people, as they're reading the book and kind of getting swept into it, because it really is engaging from the very beginning, Sean, I have to say. And I love the fact oh, you. that you make these characters, yeah, d- definitely relatable in what they're going through. But talk to us about, about Teddy Roosevelt. How did you decide how you were going to include him in this book? And then I want to tell you, for myself as a reader, one of the things I really appreciated. But I'm curious, how did you decide on on who they were going to meet in this adventure? Sure, yeah. You know, we we decided it would be a time travel adventure, that they would go back and and meet up with the only other kids out there who can really relate to how it is to live in the White House, and that's other kids through history who've been there. Um, And then, you know, uh, we at one point ended up with kind of a small book on presidential pets. And, you know, Mm a cute little book talking about so-and-so's dog, and John Quincy Adams somehow had an alligator, and there were some weird things. But then you get to the Teddy Roosevelt chapter, and he had over 20 pets roaming around the White House uh, with his six children. And those pets, you know, yeah, there were dogs and cats, but there was also a hyena and a badger and you know, at one point a bear. It, it, it was wandering around the White House. And there was a story about um, – how they actually used the brand-new elevator, the first elevator that was installed in the White House. Teddy Roosevelt put it in. And the kids used the elevator to bring a pony up to the second floor um, to cheer up uh, one of the Roosevelt kids who was quarantined with the measles. And, you know, we thought, that's great. And originally the book was just going to be, hey, all right, well, what if these kids go back in time and they they help the pony caper happen? And then, you know, well, that's not enough to base a whole book on. So that kind of became the start. Um, But... You know, with characters like that and such a strange environment, um, you know, it really ends up just kind of fueling a good story. And then you look at Teddy yeah. Roosevelt himself. I mean, <laughs> he is a fascinating president, um, totally uh, irrepressible in terms of his energy. If you look at any pictures of him, it's, his fist is always balled up. He was always just like really – he was kind of, you know – like a fifth grader, really. He had a whole lot of hyper energy that he needed to get out. And the result of that is we have things like the national parks. It was He, he put that energy into some great things. Um, and there's all these cool stories about him, including, did you know, down in Mississippi, that's actually where the teddy bear uh, got created. Um, it was yeah. uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He was on a hunting trip, um, and they uh, – they they caught a bear for him, uh, basically trying to make it easy for him to, to kill a bear, and he refused to do it, and that became a national story. And the cartoon that was drawn of this incident made the bear look so cute that a toy company ended up just making these little stuffed bears and selling them as Teddy's Bear. And that's why to this day, you know, a lot of your listeners have a teddy bear somewhere in their house. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I have to say, uh, Sean, the only reason why I know about that is because of another great guest I had on this broadcast uh, several years ago. <laughs> I was, was able to educate myself and our audience oh, cool. about that as well. But I, I, I think for myself, I again, why I love this book so much is because it – and I love the time travel element. I love the fact how you have your characters you know, with, with Claire and Marissa able to – 
gain a better appreciation, not only for mm. where they were, but also the world around them. The chapter that really stood out to me was chapter 11 in the book, Sean, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about the, the arena, because there is her spending this time, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, but spending time with Roosevelt, his, his yeah. reflections on what was. Right, and getting to yeah. appreciate the little things, the smells, the sounds, things that we sometimes take for granted. What was it like for you to kind of show the importance of that, not only to these two young girls, but also to the reader as they're kind of thinking about the world around them as well? Yeah, I I, I like that scene too, it, it, and it it that was one that was kind of fun to write because it's you know Roosevelt was somebody who really did enjoy and relish the outdoors, and they had a real personal connection to him. For him, they helped him get over family tragedy. They helped him kind of identify who he was. And even when he was a young kid and, you know, was heavily asthmatic and really couldn't go out that much, he, he kind of brought nature to himself, right? So they, they had little animals wandering all over the Roosevelt home. Um, and, you know, trying to put somebody in that moment, right? Not just – I've learned with kids, but also I learned this in speech writing – you can't just tell somebody something. Don't lecture them. You got to put them in that moment, right? So, you know, if, if if you're telling somebody, okay, that we need to preserve this plot of land, why? Well, okay, let me lecture you on how it helps create the clean water and all that sort. Okay, fine, but put me there. Make me smell yeah. what it looks like now. Make me picture how it used to be, uh, and maybe picture how it can be. Um, and then that kind of, you know, in that scene, I tried to use that as Roosevelt himself, you know, he's reflecting on some of the, the 19th century, the, the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century is one of the most environmentally destructive periods in our country's history, you know, because we felt the need, we had to compete with Europe. We had to, to step out on the world stage and we did have all of these amazing natural resources everywhere. But there wasn't much thought to what happens when you dig it all up, you drill it away, and, and, and you cut it all down. And Roosevelt was torn as a president on that. Uh, he kind of went back and forth on this, and I wanted to show him having that conflict. But I also yeah. wanted to use some of the coolest things that he ever said. So, you know, there's the <laughs> he gave a speech called The Man in the Arena, which actually, you know, he doesn't give for another 12 years after the uh, this thing set is set, but there's no reason he couldn't have had these words in his mind to talk to a kid about it. And, you know, the whole central point there is you have to dare greatly. You know, the, yeah. the best people are the ones who just get out there and just do something, even if they think they're going to fail. Right. I think that is it. I, I want to read something from that chapter that I thought was really powerful sure. too. And kind of, I'm curious as to what you, as the writer, was thinking when you wrote this, and then of course, what you hope not only, of course, Marissa, but also the reader gets from it. There in that chapter, as he's talking about what was, you write this. When he finally spoke, he said, "The first time I passed through here, you couldn't see more than ten feet ahead. The trees were so thick." He shook his head. I was a lot younger then, so was the country. Marissa looked out at the barren hills as the first rays of sunlight emerged from behind the train. Why? she asked. The country must be allowed to grow, said Roosevelt. I want to talk about that. What What was it like mm -hmm. for you to, to write those words um, and to kind of think about the interesting paradox there of, of him talking about the country growing but also seeing what was no longer being there anymore, the way things were not being there anymore. What was that like for you? Well, you know, it, it is like, first of all, 
haven't been involved in in you know speech writing and public policy. I've written about this stuff. I've had to know, you know, I ended up working um, for the Department of the Navy for a long time, and and they, they were one of kind of the central focuses for why the trees all got cut down because you know they, they wanted wood for the the ships, and that needs to happen. Things, you know, there is a balance that has to be struck in terms of what you're going to invest in and how you're going to use things, all of that. But in the end. If you're not looking back at what you're losing along the way, then what is the point of all of this? And, and yeah. so that is something that I personally feel very strongly about, um, you know. And I understand the conflicts that, that everybody has to deal with. Then also, uh, there was, um, I've been there specifically. I've, I've spent a whole lot of time in Wisconsin, um, you know. And, I, and so reading up on this train trip that Roosevelt really did take in 1903, it took him all the way around the country. Um, but uh, at some point it passes through the great woods of Wisconsin. And I remember driving along southern Wisconsin. There were great woods here. This is it, – it is it is flat. It is grassy. It's lovely, you know. Uh, much props to, to Wisconsin if you ever get a chance to go up there. But basically it's, it's a cow state. There's cattle wandering all over the place. And so to picture that, oh, wow, this whole thing. You know, read Laura Ingalls Wilder. This whole state used to be covered in trees. Wow. Okay. Well, then, is that how close we came as a country to not having any trees anywhere? You know, those, those giant sequoias out in California, they, you know, we came that close to losing them entirely. And, you know, uh, all the beautiful sites in Mississippi, you know, I mean, like, you got to, like, all these things that the, 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 the wetlands and, and everything that you get to explore, um, there was a point where they were trying to get rid of it all, and so it's it's it is something that I do want people to take a moment to appreciate. You just kind of get out and explore and enjoy, particularly kids, you know. And so, yeah. but I hope I hope you know they see it from a fun perspective, you know, and I'm not just lecturing the way it kind of feels like I'm doing right now. Oh, sure, sure. Which leads me to the other side of the question, then, because I want to know what you thought in writing it. But I love the fact that you kind of give the children that are reading this book or having it read to them, be okay with asking questions. The fact that Marissa mm. could ask why um, of, yeah. of Roosevelt. What do you hope young people get from that part as they're kind of hearing the, this this great individual talk about these things, about being okay with asking questions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think one of the things that you learn kind of hanging around, you know, if you're in famous and powerful positions is that you really just learn, okay, well, these are just people. Uh, everybody is just people. Um, and, you know, yes, they have flaws. And, yes, they should be challenged. And I think kids, um, you know, they get kind of mixed messages from adults uh, in terms of, yeah, go out and be yourself and, you know, and learn and, and explore and stuff, but, like, don't get out of line. And, you know, well, you know, the grownups are talking. I think kids should always err towards Hey, if something doesn't make sense, you should challenge it and you should ask about it. You know, don't get stuck on whether you're in a position to change it right away. Just first of all, be the person who doesn't. Hey, this isn't okay. And I think yeah. we've seen that, you know, over the past few years. Uh, you know, kids are are you know, hey, racial situations, climate change, you know, violence, uh, education. What is happening around you? that you may or may not be okay with, right? You know, there's a point where my daughter just went and, and they had a mass protest against the dress code at their school. I'm like, okay, you go for it. That's great. 
Um, because because in the end, you got to ask questions, and and that's the first step in not only getting change happening, but also just understanding that this is your world, you're a part of it. And, yeah. you know, it, it, and kids really need to be a part of their whole environment, whether it's their, their school, their communities, their families, whatever. They've got a voice that matters just as much as anyone else, and I want them to use it. Such a great point. It's such a great book, Sean. I I know our audience is going to really uh, appreciate uh, reading this, which is why I'm glad to have you on to talk about it. Again, everyone, Sean O'Brien is our guest. The book is White House Clubhouse. It is available, of course, now. You can get it through our friends at Amazon.com or through your favorite local bookstore if they don't have it. I know they'll be more than happy to be able to order it for you. Sean, um, do you see this continuing? Is this something that you had in mind to see, you know, us us to continue to follow Marissa and Claire in their adventures? Cyrus, I actually um, I am now two chapters away from finishing the uh, drafts on book two. So yeah, ah. I, I I wanted I wanted to keep on exploring. Um, you know, there's a lot of possibilities for them to jump around time um, through this clubhouse and visit other, you know, not only presidential families but the times that they're living in. Um, right. So. For the second book, we're looking at the War of 1812, which is a time that a lot of people don't know much about. Um, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it was a pivotal moment in history. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of fun. I'm taking some of my Navy knowledge and putting it to that. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Congratulations again to you, Sean. How can our audience stay connected with you? Well, um, I'd love if they could uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, Sean O'Brien Books. So that's S E A N. O-B-R-I-E-N books, um, and I've got the same handle on Facebook and Twitter as well, um, or you can just go to my website, which is com. All right. Well, definitely encourage our audience to be able to follow you there. We'll make sure that we tag you as well, Sean, and looking forward to our next conversation together. Absolutely. Anytime, Cyrus. Thank you so much. Hey, glad to have you, man. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Thank you, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care.